0: Hello and welcome to the Iris Murdoch podcast. 20 years ago today, Iris, directed by Richard Eyre, had just been released in cinemas worldwide. Adapted from the first of John Bailey's biographies, it performed well at the box office, bringing in around $16 million from a budget of a little over 5 million. Critically acclaimed by the press at the time, it would go on to win an Oscar and Golden Globe for Jim Broadbent, playing the role of the older Bailey a BAFTA for Judy Dench, playing the role of the older Murdoch, and be nominated in a variety of different categories across the 2002 awards season. The film remains certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, with an aggregated score of 79% across 111 critical reviews since first release. However, those close to Murdoch were either indifferent or in fact disturbed by the film, As one critic put it, showing her either bonking or bonkers, with a consensus being that it showed little in the way of her intellectual life or indeed her major achievements. In my experience, those who know nothing of Murdoch's work will often mention that they watched the film many years ago. It made her, perhaps, into the poster girl for Alzheimer's. So now, two decades on, it's time to reassess and consider if the film is worth returning to and what it actually tells us about Murdoch herself. But I'm not alone and joining me today are three superb film critics who will be able to do just that. Uh, my first guest is uh, Dr Lucy Bolton. Hello Lucy.
1: Hi Miles, hi everyone.
0: Lovely to have you back on, I think this is your third time on the podcast having already been on, on um, one on the moving image and one on feminism as well. That's right, yes. But, yeah. But yeah great to have you back, thank you for coming on. Uh, Lucy is reader in film studies at Queen Mary University of London and the author of Contemporary Cinema and the Philosophy of Iris Murdoch, which is published by Edinburgh University Press. Lucy's also written about Murdoch and film phenomenology in relation to the film, Mary Magdalene, and has contributed a chapter on Murdoch and feminism to the forthcoming book, The Murdochian Mind, which is out later this year. So a real Murdoch expert. My second guest is uh, Dr. Lisa Smithstead. Hi Lisa. Hi. Hi, Miles. Hi thanks for being with us. Uh, Lisa's a senior lecturer in film studies at the University of Exeter and her books include Reframing Vivian Lee, Stardom, Gender and the Archive and Off to the Pictures, Cinema Going, Women's Writing and Movie Culture in Interwar Britain and her current research focuses on contemporary female filmmakers and their biopics and adaptations of the literary works of female literary icons including figures such as Shirley Jackson, Emily Dickinson, Plath, Virginia Woolf, and of course Iris as well. So it's great that she's here. And my final guest is Professor Melanie Williams. Hi, Mel.
2: Hello.
0: Thanks for coming on. Um, Mel's Professor of Film and Television Studies at the University of East Anglia. And her research uh, focuses primarily on British cinema history and engages with questions of gender. And her books include Transformation and Tradition in 1960s British Cinema, Female Stars of British Cinema, The Women in Question, Uh, work on David Lean and the co-edited collections Reassessing 60s British Cinema, Ealing Revisited and British Women's Cinema. So an incredible um, range of um, research and publications there. And she's also the co-editor of the Journal of British Cinema and Television. So I can't think of three better guests to be with me, covering absolutely all the bases, and I'm sure this is going to be a superb podcast. But Lucy, I think um, I'll start with you if that's okay, considering how much you've published on Murdoch's work in relation to the film. And indeed, in film in general. Uh, do you remember your first reaction to seeing the film? And, and um, how does that sort of um, colour how you might see it now, do you think?
1: Yeah, I, I do, Miles, thank you. And also, I'm really grateful for this opportunity to to talk about the film because I've realised that um, having worked on it over 20 years on and off, that my opinion of it has really become far more nuanced and appropriate, I think, like more suitable to what oh. the film's about. Because I do, I remember going to see it, I think I went on my own to the Barbican one afternoon and saw it. And I, I was devastated by it actually I remember like, really being terribly upset by it one of the reasons being it was one of the first depictions of what Alzheimer's actually looks like um, and the, I'd only really you know we were starting to hear about people uh, Rita Hayworth had died of Alzheimer's and and it was starting to be talked about but the the shock, this idea of the fall, the fall from the, being the most intelligent woman in Britain, as she's described you know, so often in, in, in the film, to, to being somebody who watches the Teletubbies and doesn't know the name of, Tony, of the, the Prime Minister, Tony Blair, it, that was so, so dramatic and so disturbing. So I was very upset about it. And, and then I came to work on the film a, f- a few years later because I wanted to address what I perceived as the, the difficulties with the film as a representation of, of Iris Murdoch, the problem for me, I think, um, and we looked at it as well in the the issue that I of the Iris Murdoch Review number eight, um, that on on the Iris and visual culture. Mm, oh, of, of course, the, yeah, yeah. We've got a couple of stills from the the film in there because although the film starts with uh, Iris's signature in you know in her famous. Um, a fountain pen, a detached eye and the, the iris. Um, it's over a picture of sort of footage of Kate Winslet swimming nude. And Kate Winslet's nude body forms a, quite a big part of, of the film, I think. Um, and that's what that indicates to me like one of the problems that I have with it is, is that although the film is, about, is called Iris, it's a very, very long way from Iris. You know, it's, it's, it's based famously on Bailey's memoirs um, and then it's written, it's a real labour of love for Richard Eyre, the director, whose mother had died of Alzheimer's, and Charles Wood, the writer. And then it's a fantastic forum for these amazing performances by the four lead actors, Hugh Bonneville and Jim Broadbent as Bailey. Kate Winslet and Judy Dench as Iris, and watching it again yesterday, I mean, the performances are staggering. They are so wonderful. But by the time you get to seeing the film, and of course that script, as, as the screenplay, the book of the screenplay tells you, had been cut about, changed, you know, mm-hmm. words given to Iris. It's a creation. It's not a documentary. So by the time you get to watching the film Iris, you are a very long way from iris murdoch the philosopher and the novelist and you're actually seeing a vision of a person an intelligent woman um with a lively youth f- falling um to this t- terrible illness in her older age with a devoted husband but as richard air himself says the film could be about anybody yes and i, and I think that that's the problem for for, the, for people who are devoted to Iris Murdoch or fascinated with Iris Murdoch it, it almost feels like it isn't really about her and that the information you get about her is kind of incidental biographical detail um, now having said that when we had a screening of the film in Chichester was it I think after the Iris Murdoch conference a couple of years it was in ago,
0: uh, October 2019
1: well we had yeah. a public screening of it mm. and um, and people were really moved by two things In, when we had a Q&A afterwards. People were saying how, how much they learnt about Iris Murdoch from the film and what a terrific depiction, terrifically accurate depiction of Alzheimer's it was. And so I actually felt quite chastened by that and thought these people are, you know, people are really moved by the film and engaging with the film. And kind of who am I to say, oh, it's not very, you know, it's not very good about Iris. But so I've reviewed my own take on it and now I'm more happy to see it as that. I do think that if you are an Iris devotee and you want to learn about her work and her her life's work, her her productive middle years, Mm. then this film is not the place to go to see, there is pleasure seeing two of you know the finest actresses in the world playing Iris brilliantly. There's a lot of pleasure in that. Um, so I, I think, yeah, my, my views on it have really changed over the years, even though I'm still, I understand more fully now what my problem with the film is. It's a very long way from Iris.
0: Yes, yeah, I, I, I think I would, you know, echo all of those sentiments, actually, Lucy. Thank you. Yeah, I think that, that's, that sums up also primarily how I feel about the film. I haven't watched it since um, the 2019 showing that you know, we put together and you very kindly um, introduced and, and hosted the Q&A for. Um, it's not a film that I feel I need to go back to. It's, it's also quite a painful film in, in, in many regards, um, as, but it is a very good film as well. Um, mel what what do you make of it? Obviously coming from um, your your research background thinking about questions of gender and and, and transformation um, viewing iris must must um, throw up some very interesting questions for you.
2: yeah I mean I, I saw the film I think you know when it came out and I mean for me, it kind of slots into a particular kind of tradition um, within British cinema, but I suppose kind of uh, prestigious award bait cinema more generally Mm. of um, offering an opportunity for a particular kind of um, star performance and I think you can kind of see that in the I mean I suppose the female performances within it but also the male performances and it's interesting at the beginning you mentioned that this this was a film that kind of garnered awards and of course there's that industry law isn't there about you know if you want to win an Oscar you have to kind of play someone undergoing a particular kind of extreme uh, physical or mental disturbance so this film kind of slots into that but I think it also slots into this idea of using the the biopic particularly for um, female stars that idea of you show your greatness as an actress by playing uh, great women from Mm. history. But it's, there's, I think, you know, what Lucy said as well, that that difficulty around what constitutes Iris Murdoch's greatness. And um, the the novelist Jonathan Coe, when he was writing his biography of the experimental rights of B.S. Johnson, picks up on this uh, comment that Kate Winslet, uh, t- says in, in interviews around the time that Iris is being promoted, and Winslet some, kind of says she's a great fan of Murdoch, but she hasn't read any of her work. <laughs> um, but he he kind of I think this is this is a very interesting thing, you know, because it's the idea of what is the the thing that we are a fan of, mm. and I think in the way that. Uh, the film is constituting Murdoch as a kind of um, as an important figure is it's as much in uh, her how she lives her life and the kinds of you know uh, taboo breaking things that that she that she embodies so that the kind of nudity the, the kind of sexual liberation um, more so than The work, but then of course, as lots of people have noted, it's very difficult to, it's harder to represent that. It's easier to represent someone wild swimming in the news than it is someone uh, kind of pouring over the construction of a philosophical tract. But um, yeah, I think that idea of, you know, what is it that we're admiring about an important person or an important woman in this case, when we watch. Uh, a biopic and I uh, yeah I'm not sure with this this particular film but it is immensely watchable and engaging and moving at the same time Mm. and do, do you think that
0: the weight that these two lead actresses bring to uh the film in particular the um sort of celebrated roles that they've been known for prior to this movie obviously um I think this is uh Winslet's first Film after a little while, certainly. um, She's been a a mother for the first time as well. She's coming back into the industry after a break. Do you think that kind of uh, the the that their own weightiness lends sort of um, lends something to the film as well?
2: Definitely. I mean, you know, the, the casting is important to this. So you've got, as Lucy suggests, these two kind of great British actresses: the the kind of junior version and the senior version playing this great figure so their greatness and the subject's greatness kind of inform each other in this in this kind of virtuous circle Um, and of course they bring all the the kind of you know associations or baggage of their star images into our understanding of of the the woman that they're playing so you know Winslet is associated with a certain kind of you know uh, well, with great acting, but also with a certain kind of uh, physical liberation, um, in a way that maybe some of her peers uh, are not so much. So she's kind of a bit free and wild, and and that feeds into the way that, that Iris is viewed, and Dench is this uh, kind of the kind of instead of the actor knight, she's the actress. Dame figure, you know, Mm. she's this kind of senior, hugely important, hugely admired figure, but also a kind of unconventional figure in many ways, known for kind of embroidering sweary cushions and being a kind of, (laughs) uh, quite a kind of wild figure in her own way. So those aspects of their star personas also kind of feed into how we then understand Iris being played by them. I think there's also the presence of kind of impersonation.
3: Yeah, it's,
2: You know, the kind of Michael Sheen thing of seeing someone turn themselves into somebody else in a film that's quite, um, quite compelling.
1: Can I just chip in there actually and say um, yeah. that I think Richard Ayres goes on in the DVD extras and in the, in the screenplay um, sort of notes that he felt they shared the same spirit that was very important to him. Now, obviously, you can take, you know, take that at face value or, or whatever you think that means. But there's certainly a very important element of the film, I think, is this idea of the kind of circulating and reinforcing stardom of Dench, Winslet and Murdoch. And in a way, Alzheimer's as well. So um, in in the Samira Ahmed podcast, How I Found My Voice, Kate Winslet talks. uh, um, I got to ask her a question about this, actually. And she said that you're right, Miles, she was returning to film after having had a, a baby, I think. And she saw this project as a fantastic project, but actually rather intimidating. And she was intimidated by this, the quality of the kind of heritage performers and the, the acting that, that was around her. And so it's unfortunate that, yes, she is known for that quote, that she hadn't actually read anything, because I think she was actually quite insecure about, about this. So, yes, for her, it's about embodying. I think she used the phrase something like the, wild, the world of the wild and crazy Miss Murdoch. Mm. Um, And that so it's about the energy of Iris. And, And I think that that in a way, although, as you rightly say, this film establishes Iris Murdoch as the poster girl for Alzheimer's, or it certainly did at the time, it also lends Iris a great deal of star quality.
2: Yes, and the energy of
1: Iris And the energy of Judy and the, the yeah. calm and the refinement of Judy, because Iris wasn't always, as we know, her best self. Publicist, you know, in in the interview footage and stuff that we do have of her, she's quite wary. She's very quite um, uh, restrained, mm. and so that personality of hers is not it, you can read about it, but it's not widely evident. And so, in a way, Winslet and Dench inhabiting her has actually bolstered the idea of her style quality in culture, I think, hugely. Yeah.
0: And I would agree with you, actually, her performance actually mirrors quite a lot of the material that's come out since in the letters and the journals yes. about what she really was like in her youth. And I think Winslet does capture that very nicely. She does seem to be quite, um, you know, quite, quite close to the original. Um, which is uh, which is a lovely thing to see uh, and and lisa you've you've obviously written a good deal on on this and on biopics and you 're thinking um at the moment about um, female literary icons and they're being portrayed on screen how do you see this the, the iris film fitting fitting in with 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 this kind of um certainly in the last twenty years or so with this um, desire for for more films of this type to be made
3: Well... It- it's interesting. So I, I'm definitely coming to this as the outsider to Murdoch. And I, but I think that's to my advantage here, because I came into this film expecting to learn a lot more about her. yeah, Because it's that kind of biopic and came out of it being surprised at how little I actually knew about her as, as a writer. So when this was released, I think I was um, kind of in my mid-teens, but it was also exactly the same time that my grandmother was dying of Alzheimer's. So when it was released, I remember avoiding it and having avoided it since for that reason. So it, I think my reaction was kind of similar to the reaction that Lucy described where I did find it very moving and I found it very upsetting, but I, but I had the opposite reaction to those audience members of feeling like I understood something about Iris Murdoch um, as a writer. And I suppose that's kind of what I wanted to get out of it. But I, I did find it fascinating how little attention it gave to, or tried to give to the process of writing or telling you what kind of writer she was and I think the techniques the film seemed to use more were having her speak and giving lectures and kind of oration and that side of things rather than focusing on the struggle of composition or how she wrote and partly that's because that's such a hard thing to put on screen um and a lot of recent work that's coming out by female filmmakers that focus on figures like um Shirley Jackson, uh, the recent film Vita in Virginia, do try to give more attention to that kind of process of writing and what it's like to write and the, that sort of feverish genius, I suppose, to varying degrees of success. But it was interesting to me to see that slightly taken out from this film. And it, I suppose what was interesting to me about this movie was that I was waiting for plot to kick in and I feel like it didn't really. We, you get a kind of montage of, of what um, Mel and Lucy have been describing of kind of the energy mm. of Iris Murdoch and the particular particularity of her character. And then you have the decay of that character. And I felt like there was a middle section where I was waiting to, for the film to tell me about her novels, about her, her kind of place in society and culture. And that didn't really kick in. And so I feel like that that for me kind of took away slightly from the emotion of watching that person fall apart Uh, and maybe that another aspect of it is that that this is possibly it felt it felt aged to me in looking at the Kate Winslet character kind of larking about in that space of immense privilege (laughs) didn't give me that many points of interest or compassion It, it, it it I found it hard to, to enjoy those earlier sections, because I found it hard to, to understand what was specific about her from anyone else in that environment, apart from the fact that it's Kate Winslet, so therefore you have, you have expectations about nudity, about like the use of the body, and I think I was watching this um, a couple of days ago, and I was texting my partner, because I'm, I'm giving a lecture on Kate Winslet for my students in a, in a few weeks, and I was writing down, that I think this is the quickest in terms of Kate Winslet nude on screen in any of her movies that it happens in the title sequence. So I, I think for me, the Kate Winsletness eclipsed the Iris Murdoch potential in those early sections because it chimes with all these, these associations with her star image.
0: Yeah.
2: I think it's, it's interesting as well. I mean, it, what you were just saying then, Lisa, it's, sort of, it's almost like a sort of, that, that cliche of the manic pixie dream girl you know that's what it turns Iris Murdoch into. You know she's a crazy free spirit. She finds this, she hooks up with this staid guy and transforms his life. I mean, this is, you know, you can you can kind of place it alongside Winslet's role in something like Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. You know, this whirlwind woman who, and also just lots of lots of films that that use that that trope or or cliche of you know a kind of crazy young woman who has this big impact on a particular man. And, you know, that, that, that's kind of a, as lots of critics have pointed out that's a tricky, generic format, and it's not necessarily great in terms of female representation.
1: I think that's a real objection to the film, actually, is that you know, it could be called John, Yeah. actually, because yeah. one of the major mediations is seeing Iris through John's eyes. And again, that's not necessarily a problem. I mean, for me, it is. But again, the film is called Iris and it's ostensibly about her. And yet there are many moments in the film and indeed directly uh, juxtaposed between the young and old John, where he is observing Iris, observing her from outside, observing her have sex with somebody, observing her trying to write. And it's almost like in that particular one, Mel that you pick up there's one where, yes he's he's looking at her with another man when she's young, cut to him looking at her in another room, trying to find the word, trying to write a word with her Mont Blanc fountain pen and it's almost like this is what this is what happens to the manic pixie dream girl, which for those um listeners who aren't familiar with that is the idea that a very familiar female character in cinema is this idea of the crazy wild um sort of revolutionary girl who's a um who as Mel says like transforms the staid guy and sort of makes him lose his heart and lose his inhibitions and in a way it's like well if you're if you're that crazy when you're young look how crazy you'll be when you're old it's quite unpleasant in that way and I also think that quite a lot of the um, of what we see of the older unwell iris is quite i think sadistic might be a bit of a strong word but quite exploitative i mean i i, I don't think in an alzheimer's movie about anybody then um uh urinating on the floor might be something that is uh, you know is to be included or incontinence is something that that is a fact of of that and 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 Should be included. But was that scene really? um, What did that add to our understanding of what happened to Iris, other than to, in some ways, over egg the horror of the period towards the end? So I'm, and there's also something a little bit disquieting about the very end in that she goes into the nursing home and dies very quickly. You know, for in terms of the, the film, I mean, that's it. Once she's gone in, that's it. So, the spectacle of the film is seeing the young, beautiful Iris transformed into the aged, stumbling, panicking, distressed, urinating, incontinent Iris. That is what the film is about, actually. And so, that is not, um, uh, that that makes the film about something very specific. And again, I say, you know, it could be about anybody. It's an Alzheimer's movie. Um, and both those ends of what Peter Conradio would call the bonking and the bonkers, oh. both those depictions rob Iris of her individuality and her productivity. Um, and, um, and as you say, Lisa, the reason why she was... Um, so esteemed and so loved it's interesting that um lisa the, the you mentioned
0: how how quickly we we see the image of the female nude i i guess i wonder whether air is preparing us for that straight away because then we see that mirrored much later on where um the penelope Wilson character is actually washing the older iris so obviously we don't we only see that the mm. The, the head and shoulders of, of judy dench but that's quite obviously what, what's happening and, and also what i wonder whether he's also got one eye on the um on, on the audience expectations as well that um, the audience would expect a, a shot at some point of the female nude within the a film, film he's just getting that out of the way early on um, is, 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 is there any though it yes, recurs.
1: It does recur. I, but recurs. I don't... We, we don't see a no, new Hugh Bonneville, so it's not just respect for age.
0: No, quite. We don't see
1: a new Jim Broadbent and we don't see a new Judy Dench. So we it's about the beauty and and liberation of the young Winslet. But yeah,
2: sorry. I, th- I, th- I thought it was a kind of reference to Titanic, you know, like, look, she can get in cold water and swim. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly.
1: We know she's a good swimmer.
2: I do think
3: that the scene that you mentioned Miles where um, she's being in the shower with her friend being washed by her friend actually I thought that was one of the most beautiful shots in the whole film Mm, that was just so I I mean you don't you don't see older female bodies in that way and in those kind of acts of intimacy and care uh, I I thought that was of all of the images in the film that's actually the one that sticks with me the most.
1: And also that setup that her friend Janet Stone who Um, again if you if you know a bit about um, their friendship you know she did take lots of photographs of of Iris and um, seeing her daughters looking at them was a, a, a as well a really lovely moment and a moment that stands up to me as well is the depiction of kindness towards Iris from them when the daughter says to Bailey what do we do Mm. You know, how do we, So there wasn't there was a, a, a willing, an acknowledgement that they don't know how to be with Iris as she is, and an, a, a willingness to learn, and to say how do we? You know how are we with her? And Bailey's saying just talk to her, just talk to her normally, and some of those exchanges are really beautiful.
0: And yet, overall, I'm getting the impression that um, there's a real problem with the male gaze here in this film.
1: With Bailey's gaze, I think.
0: With Bailey's gaze, well, yes. that, that's that's being supported by the screenplay and direction yeah, as well. By
1: and air. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. Um, so we definitely see her through Bailey's eyes, from the um, you know the very first time we see her speaking about um language and goodness when they're eating uh, formal meals and and Bailey's sort of staring at her from the end of the table he can't believe how engaging and fascinating she is so yes but then he, again you see that's very deliberate I think because they wanted the film to be about love and about you know he he's said that he sees Bailey's works what he reveals in his novel uh, in in his books in his memoirs he sees it as being like work acts of heroism how he supported iris that he's like a hero Mm. really i think he is he, he is placed as the hero in this film um and that's not to say he's always perfect. You know, he loses his temper with her. He calls her a cow, and um, he, you know, he gets angry. And he doesn't do a terribly brilliant job of keeping the place clean and tidy. <laughs> that's true. But he, um, he, he is the hero of this piece. Yeah.
3: I feel like that that if the film had been a little bit more honest about that, that wouldn't be such a problem. If it hadn't framed it, if it wasn't called Iris, yeah. if it was framed slightly differently, because I think it makes sense for it to be that way. And I think it's fascinating looking at the role and the burden of the carer, yeah. Um, you know, and having having kind of personal experience of this in my family about what it was like for my grandfather to be in that position and the the lack of support and the lack of people don't talk about it. People def- definitely didn't talk about it in that period, and that right. there was no visibility around it. And it's exploring that subjectivity is so interesting. But I think if the film was more upfront about that, then that that framing and that kind of gaze would be slightly less uncomfortable, but obviously, you know, there are clear commercial and prestige motivations for not being
0: upfront about that. Yes, I think absolutely. Mel, is that how it feels to you as well?
2: I, I suppose you're sort of you're getting Iris sort of through a glass darkly, aren't you? You're getting uh, a memoir by somebody else that's sort of about living with her, um, and then that's adapted as a screenplay by two more men. And I don't want to suggest that the gender politics uh, are in any way simplistic, you know, that it's men taking a female subject and kind of uh, not adequately representing her, because I think it is more complex than that. At the same time, those gender dynamics, I think, do result in something that does feel a little bit difficult at times, and, and as, as Lucy and, and Lisa both suggested, a kind of almost punitive, like, uh, I don't know, it's, a, you know, you were young and beautiful and, you know, a, amazing once, and, and now look at you, you know, mm. that, that, that I don't think the film is completely sadistic and punitive, but, you know, there's a strong tradition within popular culture from folk tales onwards of you know a, a kind of enjoying women's basement uh the the beautiful enchantress who t- turns into a crone you know and i think there's there's something of that that sort of slightly punitive nature going on in this film even allowing for the the kind of poignancy of the and power of, of the performances and and of the of the story that the film is telling there are still kind of elements of it that are a bit
1: disquieting i think and the most um the clearest thing that it enables is the demonstration of bailey's devotion um to iris that is ultimately what the film um facilitates us seeing is yeah. just how devoted bailey was to her until the end but, you know, to,
2: to sort of paraphrase Mandy Rice Davis, you would say that <laughs> <laughs> exactly. yeah. it's his it's his version of events. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yes. Even when in the film um, she escapes and is brought back by the Timothy West character. There's, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that 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 particular scene highlights that. I wonder whether um, obviously Lucy, you, you've probably watched it um, more recently than any of us uh, have. Um, how about when you were looking at it, watching it yesterday? We're also thinking about how the film was shot, and thinking about how the and how the um, how the actors were placed and the way in which the camera moves and, and how it shows them. I wonder, wonder, if there's anything there you might want to share with us?
1: Sort of formal film stuff. I mean, yeah. yeah, I was I was struck by the editing and the pace of the editing in particular, in that there's um, the sort of. the the juxtaposition of the young, uh, the the, the past and the present, basically, is uh, that happens at different paces throughout the film. So it's certainly, um, when things are getting very bad with Iris, the the cutting back to the younger days and the cutting to the present is done far more in order to make a point about the fall, about the difference, and to Mm. drive home the intensity of of that. Um, I, I think that... Iris is often and John, but they're placed in in nature, whether it's zooming along on their bikes, whether it's underwater or in water, and they are some. They are not given enough time to play out in a kind of sort of meditative way, but they certainly are very enjoyable scenes in the film where um, the young uh, Bailey and Iris are seen as really playful and. Um, as I say, immersed in nature, immersed in each other, and they are they are created or depicted very much as a as a, a whole world together, as a and and that's in the in the present as well. Whether they're in the supermarket or whether they're in the pub, they are apart from the rest of the world, mm. and they are very much. I mean, team doesn't cover it. They are a unit, and I think that that is achieved not only through the simpatico between the the performers and the brilliance of the performances but also yes formally the way the film is constructed and that they are always seen together as this unit which is what makes it so incredibly difficult to conceive of that that unit being broken.
0: Sure certainly to me thinking back to it the the way in which there's almost a barrier between them and anybody else actually acting in the you know acting in the film it seems
1: to and again what's interesting is that this, there's a feeling that when they're young bailey feels that barrier to iris and he's yeah. trying to get trying to get in there and almost when in in the present now when she's going into her own world he feels it again and he kind of resents that that he can't get into the the zone or the world that she's occupying now so there's something about the two of them but also about iris's um own world as well that's that becomes not social and not based on her her vibrancy or her sexuality when she's young but when she's older it's based on her cerebral sort of dissociation or Mm. where she's gone so yeah there's I think also that scene that you mentioned when Morris brings her back and one of my favorite scenes is when she turns up with um, Bailey when Morris is obviously expecting to have an afternoon with Iris on his own that's very funny Um, and Sam West is just just brilliant in that moment but there's um, the idea that you know Morris doesn't stick around People don't. People desert you when you're um, suffering. When when you're in that caring relationship with someone with Alzheimer's, people in some way in some way feel like it's they're scared of it. They don't know how to deal with it. And the film directly confronts that. Yes. Um, yeah. Ahead of its time, I think, mm-hmm. in a in a really uh, interesting and important way. The DVD comes with an introduction from, um, oh, what's that actor in Fraser who plays the younger. P- high pierce David High pierce is it? Mm. Um, you know, the film, one of the DVD extras is a, a, um, a piece to camera from him about Alzheimer's. So released when it was, it's a, it's about, this is what the disease is like, this is what it can do, this is what happens to people, this is what happens to couples, this is what happens to relationships. So it's it's actually, you know, overtly about about that. And Richard Ayers says, "This my mother had this. And some of the lines that I... Dench speaks in the film. Our lines that Richard's mother spoke. This idea about looking at the door and not knowing which way to go. Yeah. Um, so it's uh, you know it, it's a, that's its overt kind of driver, if you want to use a, a phrase like that. And I think that's important to to keep in mind when watching the film that it's oh. not um, the sort that we might want. At least like they were talking about that's about the writers
0: life yes yeah, so I, I thinking back now obviously this is 20 years old in, in the in the interim um we've had a number of films about um people suffering with alzheimer's we've um, recently had the father with anthony hopkins we had the film with julianne moore which so the name escapes me it was, was was iris kind of a trailblazer then for starting off this kind of series of films about um, mental illness and in particular about alzheimer's at the end of life
1: I I think so yes um what's interesting is they have tended to be about women mm. away, away from her with Judy Christie and um Alice isn't it something Alice still, still Alice, Alice. Still Alice. That's it, yeah. yeah um which is a very tough watch about early onset mm. dementia um so yes it, it's i I think it I think it was Um, quite trailblazing in that way Um, and I think that it remains so actually for the reasons that I've said about the other elements the other things that happen when in that dynamic in relation to isolation and um, you know the ramifications
3: the other one I was thinking of was the the Margaret Thatcher film The Iron Lady um, which I think comes out 2011 I think it is Which watching this brought that to mind, you know, that film, that's a complicated film for many reasons, but it it takes an interesting um, aesthetic way of trying to represent what that's like, that's quite different to this film.
2: Yeah, and almost a sense that, you know, that it's it's kind of like a sort of Shakespearean dynamic of, you know, someone brilliant who's laid low. I mean, brilliant might not be the word that everybody would choose, but, you know, someone immensely powerful um who's kind of brought down and and the the source or the field of, in which they exercise their power is kind of not really all that important i mean i think to to both films actually that there's just that sense of someone the 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 depth of the fall from kind of power to powerlessness and from control to a complete lack of control and i think there are all kinds of interesting correspondences between them as biopics and as alzheimer's films
0: lisa i wanted to ask you something about um your recent work on thinking about female biopics um do you see the the iris film uh, in, in as part of a lineage of biopics about female authors
3: yeah i think i think there's been more examples recently of women filmmakers making films about female writers um and sometimes you have a kind of answering back so um i'm thinking here of the film about emily dickinson um i can't off the top of my head remember the filmmaker but there's an emily dickinson film made by a, a male filmmaker and then there's wild nights with emily made by a female filmmaker that has a quite a different take and perspective on her life, her persona, the way that, that she's represented. And then you have films like um, Sylvia, um, which it stars um, Gwyneth Paltrow, mm-hmm. which is, I think, that, so I think that is that has an interesting relationship to a film like this, because it, it feels kind of similar to me in some ways. The thing about Sylvia is I, I, I think it's the case that they didn't have the rights to a lot of the poetry. So not an awful lot of Plath's, words feature in the movie for those those kind of reasons of estate and access and rights so it becomes slightly less centered on her work but again that's that's a film made by a male filmmaker I believe about a female subject but these more recent examples kind of take a slightly different take with slightly different motivations so the one that I thought was an interesting contrast to to a film like Iris would be a film like Vita in Virginia Mm -hmm. that tries to center um two writers, um, it's mainly focused on Wolf and her relationship with Vita Sackville-West, and it, 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 it tries to put the, the writing and the composition into the film much more directly than a film like Iris, but there's that same fascination with watching mental illness kind of slay or decay these icons. So there's that kind of pleasure in watching suffering that seems to go in hand consistently with filmic representations of, of women writers. Another example that I've been looking at is the film um, Shirley about Shirley Jackson that has a different kind of interest, I think, in the in the body of the female writer. So there's, there's elements of that film that kind of revel in the grotesquerie of Shirley Jackson as a sort of a, a non-typical female leading lady. Um, and obviously that plays into the the kind of gothic element of Jackson's fiction, it's it's kind of playing upon that. But it's, it's, I guess what what makes something like um, Shirley stand out is that these other examples, you have starry leading ladies channeling these personas into bodies that are more conventionally attractive and more kind of suited to film and packaging it that way. So if you look at Vita in Virginia, the casting of Gemma Arterton as Vita Sackville-West is, is, bears no relation <laughs> in any way to what she looked like. Elizabeth Debicki as Wolf is actually very good. She, she kind of embodies her quite spectacularly in, in, in her, her overall physicality, but it's still two conventionally very beautiful women, mm-hmm. you know, on screen fulfilling all the, those kind of visual pleasures, whereas Shirley takes it in a slightly different direction where you're looking at a kind of like middle-aged writer figure who didn't conform to those kinds of conventions of beauty so it's more interested in in the kind of grotesquery of that body and the decay and mental health so I think that these themes kind of recur I'd be interested to see a biopic of a female writer that didn't kind of dwell on some element of decline in their greatness or,
1: or kind of intellectual control. Ah, well, this is where I'd like to mention Hannah Arendt um, by Margaret von Trotter, which I think was 2012. And I always hold that up as an example of of something um, very different because although, uh, uh, so Margaret von Trotter was asked to make a film about. Hannah Arendt and she discusses quite openly how she thought well how do you make a film about a philosopher I mean you're sitting around thinking so she set it in the Eichmann trial so you see a lot of Arendt watching Eichmann giving evidence but also what I think is so interesting about that film is that she takes it home and so you see her in what's her domestic environs, what are effectively like a salon with her partner and her friends and everybody talking about the problems, talking about philosophy. Uh, and you see her in the lecture hall, you see her writing, you see her. Um, you see, she's given a stage to justify or explain herself, uh, even when the reception of her piece on the banality of evil has, has you know, made her sort of really um, it attract a load of very negative attention. So, and what's interesting, even more interesting about that, is that you see her being the pupil of Martin Heidegger. And of course, there is biographical salaciousness there. They had a, an affair, and that could have been... A major part of the film. It's not at all. The film focuses on Arendt's um, building of her thought about evil and how she tests it, how she is surprised by it, how she learns. And so you see her sitting at work, at home, writing, negotiating the difficulty of publishing that thought the kickbacks how she responds to that so i i think that that is a very uh, um interesting example of um, a woman's thinker oh, a woman thinker and her thought being the subject of the film
2: and, and how nice that her full name is the title because yes. you know yeah. so, so often the films are, are kind of familiar aren't they they're yeah. be- becoming jane or
1: yeah. Oh, know, be a, yeah exactly say that i think the film Um, really merits Mm. re-watching. If you have, um, and obviously there'll be lots of people who adore Iris Murdoch listening to this podcast, and you may have seen it and had formed certain views about the film or about the performances or things that you've read about it. Um, But I I do think that there is pleasure in the film, particularly as, as we've talked about the kind of impersonation element. And actually, there are certain parts of it that are better researched than others. That talk about her um, little hints of what she was writing about her. We know that the novel she refers to is is under the net, even though it's not mentioned. And so, she's there's some pleasure there in her talking about the the novel that she's written, and she's writing another one, and things like that. So there there are pleasures in there. So I would urge people to give it another go.
0: Yes, especially um, people maybe who've who've, um read some of the academic pieces that have come out in the last 20 years that are perhaps a little sniffy would you say Lucy
1: a little um, perhaps yeah. mine included <laughs>
0: <laughs> well we can put a link to yours as well so that people can see what your original thoughts were and then contrast them with what you've you said today I think that, that would be fun uh Lisa what do you uh, how, how do you sort of uh, summarize um the film now having thought about it uh, for the podcast and and also put it into context with the other biopics you're thinking about
3: I think I think I'm more I think I'm thinking of it more kindly for having this conversation, actually. And as we've been talking about it, one of the things that really appealed to me about it as a human being who existed in the 90s, unlike all of my current students, is the details of that period. I think it's a film that's really... you. you you feel like you can smell and taste those rooms in a lot of the moments in the the older versions of the characters the smoky pubs the mini tedders the bag for life the really specific references that, that 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 kind of hit home for me the fact that Mrs Doyle is, uh, oh, <laughs> is the lady in the care home that, yes. uh, that hands over so there's a lot of kind of like rewarding details of the period that are quite specific to it but I think I think it's I think it holds up as, as a, a, a moving film and a very beautiful film. I don't think it, it, it gives you a huge amount of information about Iris Murdoch as a writer, and I think that remains its kind of key it's issue dealt, and yeah. problem. Mm.
0: Mm, perhaps perhaps scope for another one at some point. Oh, yeah. Maybe, or, 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 a, or a new documentary uh, film about her. what life would be something uh, very worthwhile. Then, And Mel, um, I'll end with you. Uh,
2: yeah, well, to, to follow on from... <laughs> said, you know, it's got the Teletubbies, it's got, it's got Tony Blair, it's got Joan Bakewell, you know, it's, it's very plugged into a quite specific sort of British uh, cultural moment in lots of ways. But um, I think, it, you know, as we've sort of said before, you know, if you're looking for something that is a, a thoroughgoing examination of the, the writing philosophical life this this isn't it um but i don't think it's it's that's its aim and there's a lot of stuff when the film comes out saying what you know no film can show serious thoughts and i think it no that film can do those things but this film is not doing that but what it does offer is a, a very kind of moving story of of alzheimer's and and some um, deeply kind of engrossing impressive performances from the the four lead actors playing the kind of young and old john and iris
0: and worthy of the awards it won
2: oh definitely but it um, you know it's kind of set up to win awards and then yeah, it wins as you the said awards, earlier so, yeah yeah you know all credit to it
1: <laughs> kate wins heading for another one now she's about to embark on playing lee miller so um that's kind of perfect casting there as well. And I think and I've and of course there's a connection there because Iris Murdoch adored Lee Miller and thought that she was um the most beautiful face that she'd ever seen. So she'd probably be quite delighted to think that the same actress had played her and Lee Miller.
0: I'm, I'm sure she would and uh, yeah th- I've, I've really enjoyed the, the conversation with, with, with you t- um, this morning and it's got me to, to think about the, the film in a, in a, in a new way and, and perhaps I'll go back to it and uh, in the next uh, few weeks and watch it again with, uh, with fresh eyes. Um, so a real pleasure to have you with me. Thanks to, uh, to Lucy, to, uh, to Lisa and to Melanie and thanks to everybody for listening.
2: Thanks Miles.